Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, I'm Brother Ali. Fight Diggy, Tribe Call Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles P the Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong, yeah. What's going on? Welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Martin Bauman. And today my guest is one of the most significant figures in all of Canadian hip-hop. Not only does he rap, but he sings and produces, and does all three better than just about anyone. He was one of the first to do it in Canada, and he's still doing his thing today. You might see him with Redman or Nelly Furtado every now and then. His debut album is now a Canadian classic, and it features some names you might have heard of before. Common, Exhibit, Pharaoh Monch, Master Ace, and OC. Not only that, but the artwork was done by a guy named Mike Shinoda. But I mentioned he's still doing his thing. He's got a brand new EP coming out September 23rd called Imani. It's a four-track EP and part of a series of releases leading up to his next album, Season 2. My guest today is none other than Socrates. We talk about his Imani EP, Overcoming Obstacles, the 20th anniversary is still caught up, and much more. Take a listen. First off, welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. appreciate having you on. Oh, no, thanks for having me, man. This is, this is cool. It's good timing. Man, there's uh, a lot of a lot of questions I want to get through, but uh, first off, why don't we start with this one? Where were you when you first heard hip hop, very first time? Oh, I was I was in I was living in Edmonton, and my parents used to have well, my parents and their friends used to have these house parties um, after cricket matches on Saturdays, <laughs> <laughs> and they'd play all kinds of music, reggae to soul, uh, and when it came to rap they played a message and it blew my mind, you know, and from then I was always trying to look out for rap and trying to find rap, be it on soul in the city on much music <laughs> with Michael Williams, uh, you know, or my cousins coming up from, from New York for Carabana after we moved to Toronto and, uh, you know, they bring up all the mixtapes, but the very first hip hop record um, that I knew about, I, I shoot, I, I think I was maybe about four years old three years old, but that was the message, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Shout out to Melly Mel. That's right. Uh, one thing that's very significant to you, you're, you you have uh, strong West Indian heritage, you're Guyanese-Canadian. What was it like growing up in terms of the culture and music surrounding you? Well, I don't know if being Guyanese played a part so much as being, as I don't think it played a part as large as being Canadian because even my parents embraced you know, all forms of music, um, and like I said, be it jazz, R&B, reggae music, calypso, um, classic rock, you know, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and I get to hear all of this music, all classical, I get to hear all of it, you know, playing in the same house um, over and over, so I guess that's kind of why why my music, you know, has become as eclectic as it is. Um, not necessarily, as I mentioned, not necessarily because of the West Indian or Guyanese influence, but just a worldly influence. My parents, once they moved to Canada, um, weren't strictly West Indian. You know, like they had, their, they put both their kids, me and my brother, they put us into hockey. You know, mm-hmm. go learn, because a lot of West Indian parents would would shy away from that and say it's, you know, it's for white people. 
you know, but my parents never did that. So we got a very a well-rounded upbringing, and I think that shines in the music. Uh, speaking of listening to classical music growing up, you grew up playing the violin, also singing in the school choir. Was that something that you were uh, asked to do by your parents, or, were you, or was this something that you went out and wanted to do by yourself anyway? Well, well, with the with the violin, it's something that uh, my mother, uh, you know, believed that I should I should get involved with. Um, and while in Edmonton at the time, uh, you know, we could start pretty early. I mean, I started playing the violin in second grade. Um, you know, whereas in Toronto, if you want to start that early, you have to go to private lessons. The schools don't start you till about fourth grade. Um, but it was something that she wanted me to try. She felt that I needed I needed some extracurricular uh, activities in my life, um, so sports and music became the thing. So I, you know, by my second year, I get into the city orchestra um, and get that experience of playing in larger groups outside of school. So, but it wasn't necessarily my choice to answer your mm-hmm. question. It was more my mother saying, "You need to put some of this stuff in your life," and I picked up on it. Um, Easily. And then when moving to Toronto and finding out that I have something that I've started uh, long before others kind of gave me more confidence in what I was doing and more excitement. And then I picked it up from there and I stayed along with it. And I joined the all city orchestras and symphony orchestras and, you know, got to play with Thompson Hall and went to music camp every summer. You know, me and the, you know, bare naked ladies, you know, we were at the same music camp growing up in high school. <laughs> so uh, it turned out well. And, um, you know, thanks to, Thanks to my mother. If you were to pick up a violin right now, how would you do? Do you still have that in, within you? You know, I, I keep, I, I have one. Uh, when I toured with Nelly, she asked if I could, you know, bring it out. So, I, you know, I pulled the dust off it, blew the dust off my <laughs> skill. And, um, you know, she got me a new violin. And, you know, I spent a couple of days in the studio by myself just trying to, you know, get my fingers back. Because it's not really like riding a bike. It's more like, you know, muscle memory. So you got to, it took me some work to get it back. But I don't think I'm as good as I was uh, by the end of high school. You know, I can still play a pretty strong lullaby <laughs> and, uh, you know, punch in and out when I'm recording. So I do record myself, like uh, on a song called Fades Away with me, uh, King Rain, and, and Drake from years ago. All the strings on that song I played. Um, you know, I've, I've used my violin a lot in, uh, you know, in recent recordings. Um, so, yeah, but I'm not as good as I used to be, I'll tell you that much. Another musical influence. What significance does the Fresh Arts program have to your career? Oh, it's huge. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't if it wasn't for that. If Fresh Arts wasn't around, because um, up until up until Fresh Arts, when I was about fourteen, fifteen years old, all I had was me and my next door neighbor, and you know we'd write our own raps because we used to freestyle on the basketball courts, and you know Chi Ali came out when we was 14 and we were like, Chi is good, but I think our freestyles are, you know, almost as good, if not better. And we started writing it all down, but it all would have stopped there. We wouldn't have gotten any further if we had, if we hadn't met, if I hadn't met Carly, if I hadn't met Marvel, if I hadn't met Motion, who ran the actual program, uh, if I hadn't met my manager Chase through this program, um, you know, I wouldn't, I would definitely would not be here. Julie Black would not be here. Cardinal would not be here. Baby Blue wouldn't have had their their long run kid cut. They would none of us would be where we are without that program. Jacques Claire, who was kind of an offspring of that. Um, you know, I got him into the right studios because of my experience with Fresh Arts. Uh, couldn't do it without them. Shout out to Motion for sure. 
So at this time, you're a high schooler at R.H. King. Tell me about the significance of CIUT's The Master Plan. Oh, well, that's 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 what I'm talking about. That's motion. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, that was Wendy. And um, we used to, I used to listen to every Saturday. Saturday was the day, you know, because you get the power move from 1 to 4 with DJX. Then you get Mastermind on Energy 108. He was from 5 to 7. And then you wait till about 10 o'clock and you get the Master Plan show on CIUT. And I used to sit there with my cassette on a Saturday, you know, clean my room and sit there with my cassette just ready to tape all the new songs. Um, and I looked up to the, I still look up to the DJs and the hosts of that show. Like, so once we actually got a chance to get on that show, it was just nervous and just knowing that, oh, wow, we actually, we're making it, we're making it somewhere. Cause we hear all this great music on there and now they're playing our music. And I'm just like, this is absolutely nuts. So again, with, without, and I wouldn't say only the master plan show, but that plays a significance because of motion and, and, uh, DJ power have master plan and how much they helped me and other artists who eventually became the circle um, was huge. Again, big up to motion. Whose idea was the figures of speech crew? Oh, that was, uh, well, the, the name, how do I can't remember how we got the name, but the idea came out of fresh arts because me, Cardinal, Marvel, Solitaire, why look Anthem, uh, Lockjaw, we were inseparable, you know, and we were better as a crew. We would do all these uh, talent showcases and whatnot, and we realized that this is the crew. So Cardi, Marvel, Bucktooth, and Wylook had a group called um, the Troubleshooters. And as that started to dissolve, but the, the group of us started getting bigger, we came up with that name to call the one, the, all of us figures of speech. That's how that came about. And then there was, that was the step before we actually came, became the circle. We added the whole paranormal crew, which is Shaq Claire's crew, to our, our gang. Uh, right around this time, the you know, early 1990s, uh, Ghetto Concept is big at the time. Mr. Attic has called Ghetto Concept kind of the turning point for Toronto in terms of ushering in a distinctly West Indian flavor, but also revitalizing the scene. How influential were they in your early days? Oh, it was huge because they they their their record was playing and it was actually vinyl it wasn't a dj just playing their cassette it was actually vinyl which back then would make everything real i mean obviously as long as the music was good but it made it real not only to us as toronto music fans or hip-hop fans but to the world um so seeing that they had vinyl out um was was awesome uh them and um and daniel at the time you know, it was huge. So that's a, that was a pivotal point because it showed that, I guess, the, the next era of MCs from Toronto was being ushered in by that move. And then I became a part of that early move by dropping Still Caught Up. So those three records, I'd say in, 90, in 94, definitely became uh, the turning point. But Certified did come out before I put out Still Caught Up. So it was, it was influential in saying, well, you know, we can do this. And I connected with my management and, you know, he helped a lot to actually get these records pressed. We did it all ourselves and yeah, the rest is history. So yeah, still caught up this year marks 20 years since that record came out. Uh, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, one of the things you had the yeah. unfortunate experience of being dropped from two labels. Uh, same thing with, you know, Bad Addiction was set to drop 10 years ago and, and that never came out. I think a lot of people might be resentful of the music industry after a situation like that but how did you respond to those setbacks well 
first we changed the language because I wasn't dropped. I asked to be released. You got to get that straight. Okay. Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, all of those, all of those deals, I asked to be released because of how slow things were moving, and you know, we, we, me and my management felt we could do better on our own and head out, you know, and then possibly again sign somewhere else after doing it ourselves because that's how we got it in the first place. So Warner Brothers, you know, I sat there for, you know, three years. Um, with no movement and they could, they were in a bad situation anyway. They were hiring and firing every other two weeks. So I went through about six different A&Rs. And when I asked to be released, they said, you know what? Better off you not be here at this time because we can't, we can't do much for you because they don't even have control of their own jobs. Number one, number two, they gave me all my, the rights to my music back. That's good. Yeah. They said, take your music with you. And that became the underground tapes. Mm -hmm. Um, with Def Jam, four years of of nonsense under um, Kevin Laos, who was who was the president at the time, but he was doing well with uh, Murder Inc. and Rockefeller. But even Red Man and Method Man couldn't get any light. So me being with Red, that you know, it, as it trickles down, it made it even harder for me to get anything through there because Red was having his own problems at Def Jam. So again, I asked to be released. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Then I head over to to uh, to, uh, uh, to Universal and sign through uh, through Blacksmith, Chris Smith, who's a good friend of mine, um, and uh, Gadget, uh, guys I've been working with for years already. Anyway, and they had a deal inked at Universal, so we went there. Um, went through some of the delays again, and we said, okay, we're gonna beat that anyway, because I put out a different album called, you know, with Big Black Link in my group. Mm -hmm and go on tour with, uh, with with Nelly Furtado. So basically, the label couldn't control how we were planning to, you know, promote what I can do. So we made we made some waves, made some good noise. Um, but again, at Universal, it's like, mm, you know, I, I still I still wasn't feeling comfortable because I mean, with labels, yeah, you get this thing where, you know, sometimes the staff isn't in total control, and they can't admit that, that that they can't help you. So you got to make that decision yourself. Um, so from all the situations I've been in, I've asked to be released and be given back my masters. And I got that. So now I'm in a position where I, I prefer actually out of all of them, where I'm more partnered with this label than I am just signed as an artist. And this is covert music. And, uh, and we're, it's, we're having a lot of fun with our independence. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, you know, I could be jaded. I would be. I would be jaded if you just constantly keep getting dropped. That's a blow to your confidence. But you're asking to be released, and you're still able to put music out that people love and 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 can get a hold of. Then it more becomes exciting to have your freedom rather than to be angry at the world. I want to ask about a tweet of yours. Uh, one thing you wrote was: "Times are always hard for most, and good for a few." Similar to a roller coaster, we choose our seats and hopefully enjoy the ride. Can you build on that a little bit? That's right. Uh, well, I mean, that was just a passing, a passing thought. You know, a lot of these, you know, thoughts kind of come into my mind and can be fleeting. So you try to capture them when they're fresh. But that kind of explains what I just went, you know, what I just kind of went through. Whereas, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ride that roller coaster. You gotta, you know, take your blows. 
you know, and learn how to get back up on your feet if you fall. And a lot of that ends up, you know, success ends up being more about the trip than it does about, you know, reaching that goal. It's about what happens between where you stand and where that goal is. And that can be challenging. It could break people down. So you figure, you know, if you get a better perspective on that situation, it can help you keep your excitement, keep your originality, you know, instead of following somebody else to try to make it, you know, keep your confidence and uh, stay strong through the hard times. So you're back once again with this Amani EP. It's dropping September 23rd. Uh, what has inspired this EP? Uh, well, I started recording for the season two album, and there's just a lot of music coming out of me. And me and my team at Culvert, you know, we said, you know, we said, we said, okay, we got a lot of great songs coming here. Let's focus on, you know, clusters or what we're calling chapters of what will eventually become the season two LP. Um, and this way we can get more music out, you know, it'd be on a song by song basis or in clusters, these four song EPs. And the title itself, to me, it felt like, you know, I want to, I want the fans, both old and new, to be able to get a little, a little closer, you know, to, to what I'm about. Um, and I always looked up to MCs who actually just would use their real name every now and then, like <laughs> Reggie, Keith, Eric, Kanye. <laughs> yeah. you know, there was always a cool ring to it um, when guys would use their real name. Now, um, obviously, people still call me Socks and call me Socrates, but to know a little more about me, I think, is, is interesting if you can do it in an in, 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 in a artistic way and not be so literal in a song. So I thought because now this is, you know, another new beginning and we're, you know, we're getting ready to, to do a lot more that this would be a good place to start uh, from the core of me. Uh, one of the songs on there, The Big Bang, you rap about uh, watching Reggie Noble, that's Redman, who you already spoke a little bit about, getting Brick City riled up, saying that one day I do the same for Toronto. Uh, throughout the majority of your career, this is one guy, Redman, who has stuck with you, you know, 100% and has been... Uh, very supportive. How significant has that been for you? Awesome. Like a dream come true. You know, go from being um, a super fan um, in 91 or 92, around there when uh, the What album dropped. And I had to have somebody bring that in from New York for me so I could get it long before it got to Toronto. To go from that and being the biggest EPMD fan to actually meeting your hero and be able to work with, with him who loves your music. It's absolutely surreal, you know? Um, and it, and again, it's a confidence builder because this game is very much about, uh, about being confident about what you're writing and, you know, what you're putting out. And, you know, his, we got nicknames for each other, man, but he calls me, you know, when we really get the ball rolling, he calls me champ, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, like he's the coach and he's going to do anything and everything he can to uh, keep me inspired. So he's become more like a, more like a brother, you know, a big brother to me than just an associate. And I, I, uh, I thank my lucky stars for that, man. Uh, you never assume that you'd be able to connect with your heroes on that level. So it made me nervous, but it also made me proud. You were talking about season two just a little bit earlier. I spoke to Rich Kid back in December uh, he told me how he's executive producing or, or helping you with uh, the upcoming album season two mm -hmm. and how it's going to sound more like updated big black Lincoln music. 
tell me a little bit more about the the plan for this upcoming album. Well, we've gone through we've gone through a lot of music so far, me and Rich. I mean, I even you know I've I've asked for him for him to play a large role in this, not only to not only to make beats, but to help produce songs that I've I've made myself. You know, putting his input, uh, you know, help out with bridges here and there, and he saw the first cluster. You know, I was coming with a lot of the, you know, you know, he suggested that, you know, I bring back some of that BBL funk. Um, and then we'll also keep some of that raw hip hop that I'm known for from the underground tapes. Because, you know, I just basically picked his brain and said, what do you think the people need from Socrates coming back out? And, you know, he kind of listed out a few things. So, you know, I went in and I started recording, um, you know, with that in mind, because I never want to forget about what people want to hear. Sometimes you can get lost in your own bubble, so that for that main reason, I brought Rich Kid in to, um, you know, to help me along the way. He keeps his ear to the street. He's an amazing uh, beat maker and producer from top to bottom. It's not just loops. He's an amazing MC. He's got great ears, you know. So I, uh, and you know, he's like a little brother to me. And he's told me he looked up to my work, and I can hear the influence of what I've done in his music, and that makes me very proud. So. I couldn't think of anybody else better to partner up like that with. But I keep strong working relationships with Millennials from Tone Mason as well. Um, uh, Snaz, you know, Attic has always been a longtime friend. I'm waiting to hear some new stuff from him. But yeah, I got Rich Kid as my right-hand man. and uh, We're really excited about it. And the sound isn't going just in one direction. But he's got his finger on the button, I believe, is, you know, what what we should be hitting the people with. And... Uh, we roll in with that. I'm going to paraphrase you here, but one thing that you've said before is that when you make music, uh, you don't consider what is timely or what the latest trend is. Uh, what makes for timeless music, in your opinion? I think um, uh, you got to be fearless with the with the music. You know, the tempo, the beat. You know, because you can easily want to be successful and follow somebody else, thinking that that's what you got to do. Because you see other people out there becoming semi-successful, copying others. I don't do that. I just get fearless with the, with the music. If it feels good, you know, if it sounds good, then it's, it, feel, it feels exciting to me. And, Ed, you know, and then lyrically, I mean, you want to be current, but you also, you also want to be, um, you know, a poet, a worldly poet, rather than just an MC who's battling and, and, and cursing. You we want to tell stories that ladies can get into as well, you know, relationship-wise and, you know, get the brainiacs in on some, you know, political science. And, you know, I find these topics never get old. And uh, and the music, you just got to be fearless with the beats where you're, you're breaking or you're making the trend rather than following it. And I, I think that has been the key, for me at least, to... Um, to maintain some longevity and, and stay relevant. I have two more questions for you before we wrap things up. Uh, first of all, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned from all of your years in the hip hop industry? Uh, greatest lesson. I think being from Toronto, it's important to travel. I've said this many times before and I'll keep saying it again. Um, you know, it becomes good advice as well. Not only a lesson to me, but good advice for others. It's to travel and get uh, get some perspective because Toronto can become more like a planet um, than a city on a large planet to artists uh, where you strive to make it and you just hit that glass ceiling and you wonder why you can't get any further. Well, you know, if you can, try to get out to L.A., try to get out to New York, 
try to get out to Atlanta. You know, check the scene out. You know, get in some powwows, some conversations, and you'll see that you get a lot more perspective because you might get wrapped up in Toronto. You get out there and you're in a conversation. Ain't nobody talking about Toronto unless they know that you're from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's changing a lot now because, you know, the popularity of, of, of some of our artists coming out now. But how you think they got there is traveling, getting perspective. Um, and that's been that's been the best thing for me uh, because whenever I get off the plane and come back to Toronto, I always come back with, you know, inspiration and I don't get stuck in the in the rut of, you know, Toronto, the planet. Final question for you. What is left for you to do at this point? Uh, well, you know, I want I want I want the popularity of my music to grow a lot more. Uh, you know, there are always ups and downs you know, financially, and, you know, you you try to maintain that. I've been okay with that, but there's some parts of the world I would love, you know, for my music to be not only played, but loved. Um, And I got to see that in touring with with Nelly Furtado, so I'd love to be able to go back to a lot of these places, um, you know, on my own steam. I definitely got that left to do, for sure. Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about Socrates, go to thecomeupshow.com. We've got music and videos to check out there. If you enjoyed the show, help us out, subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, repost it on your SoundCloud page, however you can help to get these podcasts to spread. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram too, at The Come Up Show. If you're in Toronto, head out to Manifesto Festival. It's running from Wednesday until Sunday the 21st, and there are tons of great performers. The Come Up Show will be there, so if you run into one of us, make sure to say hi. That's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.